Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me once again from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Brandon Shockney. Brandon, how are you? Hi, Bill. I'm doing great. It's good to be back on the internet, you know? Here I am, in here, with you, surfing around. We got our board shorts on. We got our flippy floppies. And we're just surfing the web, my man. At the end of 2019, we might be the only two people still glad to get back on the internet. So thank you very much for joining me so we could take a look back at this previous year. Yeah, no, I'm excited to uh, talk about it with you. That's right, listeners. Uh, So this will be a little bit of a deviation from our standard format. We'll be talking about our favorite games we've played this year. Now, that does not necessarily mean the games that came out this year, although that will include some of them. We're going to be talking about our favorite games we've played this year. But first, Brandon, uh, just as normal, you and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Yes, uh, screen watching, and this this one's really topical. This one's we're we're right on the on top of it. You know, it just came out. That's right, because this week, unlike usual, when we have an episode featuring discussion of video games or a video game themed episode, we're doing episodes of a video game adaptation to television, and that is The Witcher. Yes, absolutely. Um, Now, Bill, before we kind of dive into it, I want to ask, did you play um, any of The Witcher games? I have never played a Witcher game. Okay, yeah, I've only played maybe the first few minutes of Witcher 3, um, and, <laughs> and it, it didn't resonate with me, and I know that's like sacrilege to say, because a lot of people love that game, but yeah, the third Witcher game didn't uh, didn't vibe with me well, so I, I ended up not continuing with it, um, so my, my knowledge is very limited on the Witcher lore and uh, everything surrounding it. You know, uh, it's a game of the decade for many people, so it's really a bit of a miss on my part to not have played any of them, but they're just so dang long. They're like 100 hours each. Yeah, no, they're they're absolutely a commitment, and I think a lot of people uh, jumped on with the third one, right? And for me, it felt very, the story kind of, felt inexplicable to me like i i didn't like i would have to go and do a bunch of research before diving into the game um to kind of get what's going on and who matters and and all that and i i think i just didn't like that approach um i kind of wanted something that was a little more friendly to someone who doesn't have all that background with it uh so yeah it just it didn't end up being for me but i think the series is supposed to be more after the book series which takes place before the video games or before witcher 3 at least yes that i'd heard that too that sounds right and just through you know general osmosis you've heard of some of these characters before right like i'd I'd heard of a couple even having never played the games yes yeah i'm familiar with uh geralt 
uh, Geralt. Um, I'm familiar with Yennefer, Jennifer. I'm uh, familiar with uh, Siri, Siri. (laughs) (laughs) There has been a Geralt this year as well in another video game that we'll talk about later. So it's a little bit confusing. There's a Geralt and a Geralt now. You know, personal preference, whether you want that soft or hard G, you know? Well, I'd like to say I'm sure. I hope at some point there's a joke in the series about the pronunciation of his name. Yeah. No, I haven't come across one yet, but uh, yeah, I would like, I would enjoy that. Now, Brandon, there are eight episodes of season one of The Witcher currently on Netflix, which is where we watched uh, some of this. Uh, You had watched four uh, when I checked in, and I've watched the first two. Uh, Yes. So... Why don't we go just uh, in broad strokes over like what's going on in this universe, and then we'll get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty after that. Yeah, so I think I think uh, up top, the main thing you need to know is that the the Witcher is basically a fancy term for like monster hunter, right? So he's he's like a mutated uh, human. Um, although he doesn't consider himself a human anymore, but he's gone through this process to where he can have these abilities to take down monsters, and uh, that's what he does uh, for a living. Um, but it also seems that maybe uh, the witchers aren't very um, looked upon favorably by the general public. They believe witchers bring trouble wherever they go, and so um, Geralt comes across a lot of conflict uh, through that. Right. Normally in these type of shows, like the knight errant or the the sheriff, they're well-respected and everyone's coming to them with problems big and small. But here, everyone hates Geralt. And, like, people, like, will, like, whisper to him very, like, you know, subtly, like, Hey, I got, like, a monster that I need you to murder for me. Can you do it on the down low, please? Right, because he's uh, he's very much uh, kind of a, a curmudgeon, right? He seems very grumpy. Uh, so he, but but I think because uh, they kind of hint at the fact that becoming a witcher means you like lose all your emotions, um, so you don't have uh, a big capacity to feel, which in my mind, doesn't make for a very engaging lead character. But, you know, um, (laughs) sure, sure. You want to create a character that doesn't feel anything. Great. Um, And maybe that'll change over the course of the series. Maybe that's being set up so that they can break that rule later on. I don't know. Anyway, I'm already getting into the nitty-gritty of that I don't find uh, Geralt to be the most interesting leading man. Well, why don't we talk about his plot in the first episode, then? Geralt is new... Well, I guess the first thing that happens is Geralt bursts out of the water fighting a giant spider monster. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he fights that monster, and, like, he he wins. He, He stabs it real good. And then afterward, a, a deer had been nearby and had been wounded in, like, all the struggles. And he says, well, I guess today's not your lucky day. And it goes to the title card and you hear a, a sword swing in the background. Yes, he killed a little baby deer, your hero of the story. <laughs> um, yeah, so good. So I, th- I think this first episode really is just kind of trying to set up the dynamic of uh, the Witcher and uh, the townspeople. 
um, and like all the like politics and whatnot that go around um, with uh, getting his help. And, you know, he wants to fight monsters, but people want to like hire him to maybe like uh, be like a hitman, basically. Uh, and he's not, you know, totally into that. There's a there's that constant back and forth with like him versus you know people that are uh, have power in these various towns and whatnot. The, I will say that first episode ends on a pretty stellar uh, sword fight. I think the fight choreography is is really strong in the show. It is one of the the highlights there. And I know you're only two episodes in, Bill, but I, I'm at about four, and I I I'm kind of struggling with. Um, particularly uh, Geralt's storyline, how it really, like, matters. It feels very monster of the week type deal. Like, he's just kind of doing a new thing each time, whereas some of the other storylines that are running around, um, they they seem to be more of a continued narrative. So I think that's interesting uh, that his version of each episode is very, like, I'm on a new like quest and a new thing this time. And then the other characters are just continuing where we last left them, right? And it's just this continued evolution. And I think there's that push and pull between those two um, storytelling devices, I think makes the, the show so far come across very disjointed. You know, it, that is a good point, Brandon, about the uh, scope of the different plots. Like, I haven't watched The Mandalorian, but I get the impression that Geralt's uh, story in The Witcher is kind of like that, where it's like a smaller uh, story involving fewer characters, a conflict involving a few people, and like more closely interested in like the lead characters, uh, like you know, emotional growth or or whatever. Meanwhile, in the B plot for all these episodes, there's a Siri. And her adventures, which apparently are like a Game of Thrones-ish in a nation invasion of another nation. The fate of the world is at stake. Like there's magic powers at work. It's all like completely on different uh, level than Geralt's story. Yeah, and I actually find that to be the more engaging stuff. So the, the stuff with Siri, and then I don't think... By the the episode, or you finished, have you really dealt with Yennefer at all? Episode two is the first one that really involves Yennefer. Right. So so Yennefer's storyline and Ciri's storyline, those both feel very interesting and engaging because we're seeing the, like, the things happening to them that are going to shape who they are, and it feels very um, urgent. So everything feels very high stakes in those storylines and constantly propelled forward. Whereas Geralt, I feel like he's already kind of fully formed in his personality of being like, he's grumpy, he kills monsters, right? And so we're just kind of getting, it seems like he's just doing that while we're waiting for everyone else to, for, for all these kind of plot lines to, collide um so so it feels almost like Geralt's storyline is stalling right to like get to where we're kind of caught up with everything i think they're playing with things with certain storylines are taking place at different times um so not everything is is super linear i don't think i i I just for me it's kind of off-putting for the show when 
the title character I'm very I'm less engaged with than some of the secondary characters. It almost makes me wish each episode was just fully committed to one character and we kind of cycled through the three. So like w- one episode around Geralt, one episode around Siri, one episode around Yennefer, and then start again with Geralt. Like I would almost rather it have that structure as opposed to trying to jump back and forth, um, which I, I don't think works in the show's favor. I, I, I promise I know other media besides Game of Thrones, but it does feel <laughs> like they're trying to emulate that style of narrative where it's like they bounce around to different perspectives throughout the world with the goal of having them converge later on. And like they're, everyone's at different points in their journey, like, you know, in, in A Song of Fire and Ice... Uh, no, sorry. A Game of Thrones is the so a Game of Thrones is the title of the first book. A Song of Fire and Ice is the title of the series of books. Anyway, mm-hmm. in the first book, you know, you have uh, John. He's going to the Night's Watch. Cat. She's going to like try and figure out who tried to kill Bran. And Ned is trying to figure out like who, what happened with John Aaron in the capital and stuff like that. So there's like different journeys and different stakes for everyone. But it feels like. I think in those that everyone is, you know, you're, they're still new to you and still uh, vulnerable. Like, you know, uh, right. Ned Stark is, you know, he's, he seems like a pretty tough dude, but he's, you know, a, a, a big fish from a small pond now in the big, in the capital. And it's like, oh, I'm not sure what's going on here. Where in, you know, in Geralt's plots in the first two uh, episodes I've seen, he just kind of seems over everything and like obscenely powerful compared to everyone else he knows. So it's like, can he really be affected by what's happening? In the second episode, well, I guess like I'll go in order. In the first episode, he meets a wizard and then a young woman who are both like, I want you to kill the other person. The wizard's like, I want you to kill this young woman. And the young woman's like, I want you to kill the wi-, or just she wants to let him to let her kill the wizard. And the girl's like, I don't care. I just like, just leave each other alone. You know, you're, you can live and let live. And then just like at the end, the young woman goes to attack the wizard and he steps in and intervenes and like kills all her like band of like rogues and kills her. And he just leaves. Like afterward, the wizard's like, ah, good job. I'm really pretty evil actually. And girl's like, Ugh. and then he's what? He, the townspeople start stoning him and he walks away. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think it, the problem is for me is that like, I don't, I don't care about Geralt yet. Like, I, I don't know how he became a witcher. I don't know like what, what that process really entailed, what his struggles are. He's just kind of moody and um, in constant thought, you know, of like, oh man, my life, it's so hard. Um, and there's there's moments where he's like talks to his horse and he tells this horse about uh, a, a roach. He tells Roach about um, like his first uh, kill or whatever. Where it feels like the show's doing more telling and not showing. Like I rather I rather just see um, and maybe we'll get to that in later episodes. But I think it's a misstep to um, not flesh out uh, Geralt right away. Uh, because you're asking the audience to invest in something um, that if they don't, it's it's almost like the show is banking on the fact that you have played the video games and you already have an ingrained love for this character um, and you're you're willing to uh, follow on their journey, even though the show's not itself making a compelling case 
as to why this person matters. It's a little ironic that you mention uh, the notoriety of the character because the person playing the Witcher, Henry Cavill, uh, most recently he's been Superman. So he could probably bank on people knowing who Superman was beforehand. Right. Uh, not so much here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I, I don't think uh, uh, Henry Cavill's doing a, a bad job with this, especially with the limitations of the character in itself. But He seems uh, like he's doing as much as he can with what he has. Right, absolutely. Like, it's it's... I don't even know how you would play that character differently, right? Um, with with the setup you've been given. So, I mean, I, I'm intrigued enough to kind of continue with it. Uh, but depending on where we kind of leave off at the end of this first season, uh, will really determine if I continue on uh, beyond that with this. Um, uh, but I, I am willing to give it enough to watch all the available episodes now um, to see where I end up by the end of the season. This show, I think I could deal with maybe Geralt being kind of a bore if everything else around him wasn't so relentlessly bleak. <laughs> like, I, I feel like in two episodes, there's just been nothing for me to, like, feel joy. Or maybe I've laughed at a couple jokes that have been told, like, in the, in the Geralt storyline here and there. Uh, but everyone is so miserable or dead like everyone right and, yeah. and like you know at, at the end of episode two there's a moment where uh uh so in episode two siri uh, by the way so siri is the granddaughter of uh yeah like a queen and king their kingdom gets overrun by an invading army she runs away and then she ends up in like a refugee camp basically for people from her kingdom and she gets taken in by like I think, like, the implication is they're part of nobility, you know? Like, they were, like, upper class, middle class, people who had, like, some privilege. And she uh, meets the, the matriarch of the family who is, you know, abusing her servant. And at the end of the episode, the refugee camp is getting sacked, and the matriarch is, like, continuing to abuse his servant. And I was like, oh, that dude's just going to, like, rob her and, like, run away. And I was like, that would be fair. You know, I get it. Like, he was being abused. Instead, he picks up a knife and starts stabbing the matriarch to death. Like, he just, he jumps on her and stabs her to death. And she's screaming, help me, help me, <laughs> while Siri is looking on in horror. Like, oh, my God. Right. Like, it's so violent and so grim. Like... Yeah, the, the, the show doesn't hide from uh, the more uh, brutal aspects of it. It's, it's very much to be like, look, these characters are naked. Look, there's blood and gore. And it, it, it's banking on that. Um, and I think it, when used effectively, I think that's fine. But uh, otherwise, it, it can come across as just gratuitous. And uh, I think that might be a little bit what it's, what it's doing here. There isn't a lot of, of levity throughout um, the first couple episodes. There is like this bard character that gets introduced um, who kind of uh, shows up a few times and he, he offers uh, uh, some more humor. Um, but even then it's, it's, uh, there's not a good balance, I don't think. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be curious. We should eventually, once we both finish um, the series, we should or, or the season, we should kind of revisit to see if our thoughts have changed on, on it at all. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I, I'd like to maybe come back and revisit this. Perhaps we could expand the screen watching segment to explore more adaptations of 
video game material because you know we did it last year with uh, seasons one and two of Castlevania. I'm sure they're coming back with season three of that pretty soon. That seems likely. And there's I some hope, other I shows so. out there. Uh, okay, so this one point is going to drive me crazy if I don't talk about it. So uh, I'm sorry, but this is a plot hole, maybe, in the, or maybe it'll be explained later. In the first episode, the uh, Siri and you know their family they have like a royal magician, and mm-hmm. uh, the evil army shows up at the door and he puts like a magic barrier around the door, and he's like, "This will stay as long as I stay." Basically, he's like. It'll, it'll stay all barriered as long as I'm here. And, you know, they cut away for a couple scenes, and they come back, and the barrier finally falls. So I was like, well, he died, or he passed out, or something. And then he just, like, walks into the next room, looking fine. Not, like, obviously, like, exhausted, or sweating, or, like, wounded, or something. And it's like, so he just, like, stopped? Because, like, wouldn't any of the evil army have like looked around and been like hey there's a guy like waving his arms around up on that window over there maybe we should like shoot some arrows at him or something or did he just like go eh I'm done yeah no I I didn't notice that that's a that's a good point and then later on like he the magician like the like the last knight in the kingdom basically and Siri are trying to make a getaway and some guy says hey who are you and the magician guy is like I'll stop them it's like well do you have to stop them? It was just some guy saying like, hey, does this really demand your attention? You one of the last two bodyguards for the granddaughter of the kingdom? And then we never even see what happens. Like he just walks away and that's the last we see of the character. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I I, I guess I, I need to pay better attention to it as well. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too nitpicky about this stuff. I was wondering if it's like, okay, maybe actually he's an evil wizard and like, he was trying to have some other plot go on in the background that I didn't notice. And it'll like play out and like I'll find out in like episode nine, like actually he was doing this, this, and this. Cause like, you know, it's television. You if there's a character who's just like blindly loyal to a queen who's just like, It's been an honor to serve you. I will always be there to protect your granddaughter. It's like, well, you know, that's kind of a boring character, so maybe there's something underneath that we didn't know about. You know, I mean, it's possible. Well, I guess I'll have to watch to find out. That's that's, that's right. my takeaway. Is like, <laughs> yeah, even though this was so bleak and depressing to watch, I I still want to know what happens next. So maybe I will check it out uh, the rest of this kind of holiday period. Well, all right, Brandon. Any final thoughts before we move on? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I've I've gotten everything out that I was thinking about with the show. Um, so yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to revisit. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty, oh. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty. All right, awesome. Well, in that case, uh, we're just going to keep right on rolling because now we have to talk about our games of the year. For 2019. All right, uh, I, I got a preface, Bill. I'm gonna, I think I'm a little embarrassed of my list here. My uh, I did top five, right? Because we said we talked about doing top five, and then I had a few honorable mentions that I feel like I couldn't put on the top five because uh, I, I haven't played enough of them to really get a good uh, sense of if they will be a top game. But I've enjoyed what I've played so far. Uh, that's 
kind of how I've worked it out. Um, how are you feeling about your list? I was kind of in the same boat where like the, in my top five, the back half was games that I haven't played to completion. And I had to weigh like how much I enjoyed those against games that I had finished and to, like decide, well, which of these is better in an objective sense, which will last for time immemorial. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, so uh, should I start out by giving a couple honorable mentions um, that, I, that I have of things that I, I've enjoyed but maybe haven't gotten a good enough sense of to include? Yeah. So why don't, yes, yes. Why don't we go, you do your honorable mentions, I'll do mine, and then we'll go five, five, four, four, so on. Sounds good. Um, so uh, for my honorable mentions, uh, I have four here. Um, I have um, Kingdom Hearts 3, um, I, which I wanted to include on there because uh, I, I'm kind of of two minds of the game. I really enjoy the gameplay, and there's like a lot to it, and it looks great, but the story is inexplicable, um, even more so <laughs> than past Kingdom Hearts games. Um, so that that kind of pulls me out of it, but there are some things in it that I'm really enjoying. Uh, it's kind of like chaotic action so uh and and it's also just been a long time coming and i i can't believe we actually got it this year so uh kingdom hearts 3 um and then fire emblem three houses which i've really enjoyed but i haven't played enough to really include it on my top five i have a feeling it'll be on your top five but Mm. uh but maybe um but i haven't i I wasn't able to include it. And then um, The Outer Worlds, uh, which I played, again, only about like an hour or so of it. But I, I did, re- I have really enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's scratching that Fallout uh, vibe for me. Um, so that, that's been great. And then Ring Fit Adventure, which um, I uh, got just recently. And I've, I've only played through the first, like, first, like, three levels of the story. And uh, really, really enjoy it. I think it's so intuitive. I think uh, it's so fun. Um, and uh, I was sweaty by the end of a workout. So um, I think it's also effective. Uh, so that almost made uh, my top five. But again, I want to play it a little bit longer before I, I fully commit to it. So those are my honorable mentions. Excellent. So my honorable mentions, I also have four. And I have like a little bit of a title for each of them to explain why they're an honorable mention. Okay. Uh, so my so my first one is my Recency Bias Award. It's a game, literally, I played it yesterday prior to our recording, and I enjoyed it a lot, but I want a little more time to think about how it really sits with me. And it's called A Short Hike. I think I've heard of this. It's a game you can play currently only on a PC. It's available through steam and itch.io and it's a lot like uh animal crossing or night in the woods where it's just got this really relaxed vibe you're uh you're a bird person and you go to uh like a an island where your family is vacationing and you kind of go around and you meet all the people who are on the island who are either there uh, they live there, they work there, or they're also vacationing there for different reasons. You talk with them, learn a little bit about their lives, and meanwhile you're like you're exploring because like you have to you know jump and fly and climb, and as you do so, you're getting these golden feathers that let you like 
jump higher or climb more and stuff like that. And there's like an objective to the game. You're supposed to climb to the top of the mountain, but it's more about just like meeting the different characters and like talking with them and getting to know them a little bit. And just it really sat well with me. I only played it for like an hour and I got to the end. Like literally it says the end on the screen, but there's still a little more to do. So I'll probably go back to it. But yeah, a short hike is my recency bias award. Nice. Then uh, my favorite older game or retro game. I'm not sure it's retro yet, but it's pretty old is a uh, ratchet and clank, a crack in time. Mm-hmm. Brandon, I know you're a huge fan of Marvel's Spider-Man game that came out uh, last year. And the team behind that, Insomniac, you know, they made all the Ratchet and Clank games back in the day. And you can see, like, having now played a lot more Ratchet and Clank than I ever thought I would, and, like, Sunset Overdrive and some Spider-Man, like, how good they are at, like, making characters that can, like, move and zip around landscapes. And A Crack in Time feels like the first time they really got good at it. Because, you know, you got the traditional Ratchet and Clank gameplay where you got the wrench, you bash things with the wrench, you shoot things, you get bolts, you upgrade your weapons. But you also get jet boots, which let you rocket around the, the landscape and do, like, flips in the air and big jumps and stuff. And then they give you a spaceship so you can fly around and do space missions all around the different uh, solar systems that you encounter. And, like, the story's not anything to write home about, but there's, like, some pathos there, I guess. Overall, I would say it was uh, really solid, and I'm not sure if you necessarily need to go back and seek it out in 2019, but I happen to, and I and I recommend it. Yeah, I, I feel like those are fun. Uh, those are fun platformers, so you can't go wrong with a strong platformer. And, and you know, another platformer that uh, I wanted to mention, which is my best single-player experience, was Titanfall 2. Oh man, I love that game so much. I really got into it, finally. Uh, I finally sat down just one Saturday evening. I was like, you know, we're, we're just going to play Titanfall 2. I, I got through the whole single-player campaign in the weekend, and it's so much fun, like, jumping around, wall jumping. Uh, the, each level feels so different, and a lot of the levels feel like they're mechanically dense enough to support their own game. Like, uh, the time travel level feels incredible. Yeah, that's that's the highlight, I think. That was amazing. Uh, I also really liked the level where you're going in like the manufactured homes factory and you have to like scale the different homes and run around and stuff. Yes. Oh, man. It was great. I was really, really impressed. And I'm happy that Respawn is still making games. And like, I feel like this has been a really good year for them between the Star Wars game and Apex Legends. So, you know, I'm happy they're getting pizzayed. But it does feel like we're probably not going to see any more Titanfall for a while based on how often I see Titanfall for like $4 at Walmart or whatever. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big bummer because I also think the multiplayer aspect of Titanfall 2 is one of the best multiplayer experiences I've ever had. It was so much fun to play that multiplayer in addition to uh, what was truly a stellar single player campaign. I just think it's one of the top if you if you like um if you like shooters if you like like having um really intense fast-paced uh multiplayer then i i think i i can't believe it's not still being talked about or not still a, a bigger hit i mean I, I think i saw somewhere someone say that wouldn't titanfall multiplayer be such a fun thing to watch competitively compared to some of these other things that we watch 
like competition, like uh, esports stuff. I think Titanfall two. I agree with um, whoever said this. Uh, Titanfall two would be um, just an incredible um, esport. Uh, so much fun. Uh, so many different ways to to play. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting. Yeah, unfortunately not for now. Maybe when they have some time in the next couple of years, they'll swing back around. And then my final honorable mention is for my favorite mobile game I played this year, and that's Pixel Puzzle Collection. And this is a series of Picross puzzles made by Konami, and it features a bunch of different classic Konami artwork and pixel art, which... Uh, is really fun to go back through and navigate based on like you know having played a lot of these games when I was younger, and not that this is the most important part of the game, but I think it is fairly important. Is the game is free and like very inobtrusive about like how it tries to monetize you. Like they could, <laughs> it's a weird thing to say, but they could be doing so much more to try and get you to pay money, like with gems or like premium currency or whatever, but they really just show you a few ads here and there for like Konami games. And like, you can just close them out. They're just images too, they're not videos. And then you can just go back to playing your game. And I, I really was uh, surprised by how uh, inexpensive in that currency this game is. Yeah, I feel like that's rare, right? So that's, yeah, that's good to see. And on top of that, Cross is a lot of fun. So I went through and I did all the Cross puzzles, every one of them. Even though uh, if you're doing it on a phone, it does get kind of difficult by the end because they're like giant Picross puzzles on your tiny, tiny screen. <laughs> well, uh, that's my honorable mentions. Uh, so then why don't we move on to number five, Brandon? Sure. So my number five, um, uh, I have largely you to thank, uh, but I've gotten really into it the past uh, month or so, is Tetris 99 on my Nintendo Switch. Yes. Really, really enjoy it. I'm not a battle royale type person, uh, but this just uh, struck a chord with me, um, and, and it's just so much fun. Uh, it's like oddly, even though it's a competition, it's also like oddly soothing um, to play the game. Uh, I, I really, really enjoy it. I got the like Pokemon uh, theme on it, which I think is is my favorite of the themes that I that I have so far. Yeah, no, I I really enjoying it. Um, I I feel I feel myself getting like better at it too, uh, which is good. It's fun to like uh, see that progression. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's just a such a, a smart take on what is now you know such an enduring and classic game. Brandon, have you ever successfully won a game? I, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to. No, no, I I have. I think I think I got um, like seventh. Or, or sixth place, something like that. Uh, but I... That's pretty I've, good, though. Yeah, yeah, but I've never I've never won. Have you won? Closest I got was fourth, and I didn't feel terribly close even getting that far. It felt like I was hanging on for dear life at the end and just trying to survive, and I don't think that's a way you can win those kind of games. Right, yeah, no, I... Uh, yeah, man, it's... Yeah, I, I assume the people that win all the time are just maniacs right who have been playing tetris since they were babies <laughs> yeah yeah i figure something like that uh but yeah yeah that's my number five what's your number five bill my number five is a game that you mentioned in your honorable mention section and you were correct in assuming that i 
would enjoy it. And it's Fire Emblem Three Houses. I love everything, uh, the look of that game, uh, the gameplay. I just need to play more of it. I need to play more of it too. So at this point, I've played for about 20 hours, but I've, I feel like I've gotten deep enough in that I can, you know, definitely state that this is one of my favorite games of the year. It's uh, taken the old Fire Emblem formula, which is the, uh, you know, you move characters around a grid-like battlefield and they attack and cast spells and shoot arrows and then added a whole bunch of extra crap on top of that in terms of like this uh, social aspect where in between maps and missions, you go to a monastery where everyone just kind of hangs out and you talk with them and like eat lunch with people and also work on developing your own character like you can you can meet different instructors and learn skills that you can then pass on to your students because you're a professor there uh you can then if you get good enough at certain skills or get people to like you enough you can have them join your team even if they belong to a different team in the monastery it's really satisfying i i really didn't know I needed basically a Persona game to be grafted on to my Fire Emblem game, but when they did it, I, I really, I really appreciated it. Yes, any, anything that's drawing elements of Persona is a good. Did you have a favorite student so far while you were playing, or did you not get deep enough to have one draw your attention? Yeah. Um, oh man, I'm forgetting her name though because it's been so long. She has uh, pink hair. That's I think Hilda has pink hair. Hilda, yes, uh, Hilda has uh, been my my favorite so far. So far, I really like Bernadetta. She is kind of a mess. She spends every time you try and find her, she's in her room, and you can only communicate with her through the <laughs> door to her room. Oh yeah, oh I like her too. She's great. But she's becoming a very lethal archer, and uh, you know she's growing up a little bit. Oh, I, oh man, wait, 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 not Hilda. Uh, who's the one that um, uh, really is like a super fan of your dad? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Her name is like Leonie, I think. Yeah, I love her. She's great. I she Her hairdo makes me think of Chie when I see uh, her. Yes, which I love Chie, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I really, uh, I liked Fire Emblem Three Houses a lot so far. I'm going to keep going, and I understand that I have quite a bit still to go, uh, but I'm not, you know, dreading that in the least. Brandon, what would be your number four? Uh, my number four is Catherine Full Body um, for the PS4. Uh, so Catherine um, was, I was a big fan of the original game, and uh, this year they came out with uh, full body, which is kind of like a remastered um, version of the game with a bunch of new content as well, a completely new character named Rin. I got to tell you, it it really, I, I think in terms of uh, games that you kind of revisit or games that um, kind of get those those remakes or those remasters, I think this uh, this is the way you do it, right? They offer a bunch of new content, uh, like new storylines, there's new uh, like cutscenes, new animations, um, and it's a game that lends itself to multiple endings anyway. So now there's even more uh, multiple endings, and I think it's just such a, a kind of crazy, unique game um, in its story, in its gameplay, and um, I like the puzzle aspects of it. I like uh, uh, the voice acting. Uh, you know, I I just 
I was really blown away by the original, um, and I've had a lot of fun uh, playing the, the this new version in full body. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds... Uh, now, I need to know, did you end up with Catherine, Catherine, or Catherine? Um, interesting. Uh, I ended up with Catherine. Oh, well, you know, uh, I could see how you might end up going that way. It's, uh, you know, not what everyone would do, but I, I appreciate that you're making your own choices with that game. Neat. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to play because I played the original uh, one way, and I played the opposite way um, with this remaster, so it was really fun to dive back into it. I highly recommend. What's your number four, Bill? My number four is another game you mentioned as an honorable mention. Uh, it is Ring Fit Adventure. Woohoo! Yeah, this uh, completely caught me by surprise because, I mean, no one knew what this thing was. It had very little fanfare before they put it out. There was like a very brief like set of YouTube trailers, and then it was out you know, a couple weeks later. But I really, uh, I'm always looking for ways to keep exercising fresh and... I wanted to give it a try, and I've really, really come to appreciate Ring Fit uh, so far in my adventure. Yeah, no, do you feel like you've um, built up a pretty good sweat? You know, full disclosure, uh, I, you, you, Brandon will be able to hear this on the recording, but the listeners will not. I'm just getting over a case of bronchitis that's kept me, uh, you know, knocked out for the past couple weeks, so I, I lost my Ring Fit mojo, but... When I was playing, I uh, I would get pretty sweaty, yeah. Especially with a couple of the exercises. Now I'm kind of dreading having to start new with those because I was getting a little bit of endurance for them. Especially planks. I was really, really not good at planks. And I was getting it a little bit, and now it's going to be starting all over. Okay, well that's alright. You know what? The important thing is, you just get back on that ring. Yeah, yeah. And, and for people who haven't played... Uh, but you might be familiar with WeFit, where WeFit is just a, a series of exercises. It helps you with like uh, giving suggestions for programs to do. RingFit has you controlling a character with your Joy-Cons, and you run through a map. And then you'll do different exercises as you come through the map. And then you'll run into different monsters, and you can attack the monsters by doing different exercises. So like when you meet a monster... You can do 20 squats to deal damage, or you can do a bunch of uh, overhead presses with the ring, and it's got a lot of resistance to it, so it feels like a lot of work without having a ton of weight involved. And it's uh, it's great. I am going to be disappointed when there's no more new storyline content or new dungeons to explore in Ring Fit. Brandon, uh, what would be your number three? Uh, so my number three is Pokemon Shield uh, for the Nintendo Switch. Um, so, of course, you know, uh, I was excited about the first uh, Pokemon game to be on, uh, like, uh, you know, like a home console. So it was it was promising a lot. So there's, there's a lot that pe- people have given um, uh, some criticisms uh, for it for. Uh, and and I agree with those. I think it doesn't it doesn't go as far as it could uh, in terms of like graphics and in terms of the potential of having a fully online Pokemon experience. But that being said, uh, the the new things that it does for 
the series, which has been going on for so long now, I think are good ones. I think the wild area is a lot of fun um, and there's a lot of potential there to kind of continue to develop that in future Pokemon games. I think all the new Pokemon themselves are really, um, have really interesting designs and uh, are are uh, great to capture. Uh, I, I know there, there was some uh, additional criticism on the game for not including the full Pokedex. So all the Pokemon from previous games are not available in Sword and Shield. But I think that's okay. Um, that's not a deal breaker for me. I, I like putting the focus more on some of the new um, Pokemon that are available. So I think those are fun. Uh, the gym battles have kind of been, the, the way those work have been retooled. And those are, those are really... Um, uh, a good time as well. Uh, I, I think the Ga uh, Galar region is, uh, which is very like European inspired, is uh, is a, a good time as well. So I, I just think the the things it does right, it does really right, despite some of the shortcomings. Um, and it's a Pokemon game, and I'm always going to get the latest Pokemon game. So I, I I'm very uh, pleased with it. That's great to hear. Yeah, I, I know there has been some. Uh blowback on certain changes in the current generation of Pokemon and I think from the outside it looks like there could be some legitimate you know discussion but it ends up becoming so toxic a lot of the time with this and with other media that it just it's impossible to have like a measured uh, analysis of like what could be legitimately done better without it being like and that's not fun at all oh i i agree i think there's a lot of um a lot of discourse out there uh just a lot of uh unproductive conversation um regarding uh so many topics pokemon star wars you name it so um no i i think uh people people can put things in perspective and relax about a lot of these things uh yeah so that's my number three uh, Bill, what's your your number three? My number three is not going to be a huge surprise when I explain what it's about. It's Steam World Quest: The Hand of Gilgamesh. Now, the Steam World name has been going on for a few years. They have the Steam World Dig games, they have Steam World Heist, but Steam World Quest is their attempt at an RPG using deck building mechanics. So you have your different RPG characters that are in your party and each one of them has you know equipment and stats but they also have their own eight card deck and you can select from a bunch of different cards to give them to put in that deck and then when you go into a battle all three characters decks are shuffled together so you draw a hand of six cards and then you have to make plays that are different attacks on the enemy and there are uh, you know different strategies you can use because you'll have like three mana you can use every turn and you know the basic spells cost one mana and then there are some that are like five mana because you can bank mana you could like just pass a turn and then next turn you'd have extra mana and finding all the different synergies that exist between the different cards and like finding what decks work best for different people is really satisfying i tended to favor putting together decks with lots of cheap cards because if you put together three cards in a row from the same party member then you would get a bonus attack so you get like a, a basically a fourth extra card every turn and i usually liked 
the effects I would get from those cards. And, you know, like the RPG story is kind of bleh. It's, uh, I'll give them credit for having made something. They, you know, every character has, like, their arc, and there's a story, and they're, like, you know, but, you know, whatever. The deck building mechanics are why I'm here, and they really knocked it out of the park with them, I think. Yeah, this game sounds incredibly up your alley. I, I feel like you do really have to enjoy or be curious about a deck building game to want to investigate this. Like, there's not a lot going on outside of that, but for me, personally... This was my third favorite game I played this year. Awesome. Now, Brandon, what would be number two for you? Uh, number two uh, is uh, this little game that has been sweeping the nation uh, called Untitled Goose Game uh, for the Nintendo Switch. Very, very, uh, I mean, come on. It's, you, you play as a goose who steals stuff from people. You're just like a goose jerk. You know, and uh, what's what's better than being a goose jerk? And I think uh, the art style is so fun. The uh, the gameplay is just uh, <laughs> uh, it's like very light puzzle solving, um, but it's it, it it lets you experiment and kind of play with some different things. Um, so yeah, no, I I think it's a very simple, straightforward game, but I think it's incredibly charming. Um, there's a reason that it's resonated with so many people. And it's just it's just a lot of fun, and it doesn't ask too much of you or too much of your time, but it is still an engaging, uh, and uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how it it sparks a lot of. I, I think it will kind of spark a lot of copycats or games like this um, are going to follow suit, right? Trying to capture the magic of Untitled Goose Game. Um, so I think any game that inspires that kind of reaction, I think, is is uh, something um, that's worth uh, checking out and uh, worth uh, putting on this list. So that's why it took my number two spot of the Untitled Goose Game. Untitled Goose Game really instructed me on how important it is to have a very uh, memeable action going on in your... Uh indie game to get people's attention because uh, you know there are lots of great independent games coming out every year but the the goose and the honk ended up being so memeable that it made it very easy for people to like talk about it on social media and then that got people curious about playing it and really i think helped the game take off oh i agree yeah no it's uh there is something something special about it something that's so accessible about it that um, it's resonated. So yeah, no, I, I, I've re really enjoyed it. Well, Brandon, my number two game, I would say, is very inaccessible, truthfully. But uh, <laughs> for old Bill, it was uh, really, really appreciated. And that was Persona Q2. Ah, yes. Um, man, if I still had my 3DS, I might have picked this up. But alas, I do not. That's just the tip of the iceberg, yeah. So first of all, this is probably going to be the last... 3DS game that is physically released in the United States. It came out in June. No 3DS games have come out since then, and I very much doubt we're going to see any in 2020. So this will probably stand as the last physical release for that system, and it's a game. I had, I had no idea that the 3DS was kind of being phased out there, I guess. It surprised me how long they held on even after the Switch came out. Like, in 2017, 2018, a lot of the Nintendo Directs were like, here's some 3DS games along with, you know, the Switch games. 
And I think they've finally hit the end of that pipeline and they're all systems go on the Switch now. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I got us off track. Uh, please, Persona Q2. Yeah, no problem. Um, so to pick up, yeah, it's the last game for the 3DS and it requires that you like the Persona franchise. Like, I would not expect someone who had never played a Persona game to really get into the characters here. And it also expects that you like the Etrian Odyssey franchise, or at the very least, have an interest in literally drawing a map on your 3DS with the stylus. Huh. Okay. But if you enjoy Persona and the idea of drawing your own map and have a 3DS, then this game is really good. It is a... it is a fan service game for people who want to see all the different Persona characters from 3, 4, and 5 interact with each other. I know on a long ago podcast, Brandon, you had mentioned that you would love for there to be a crossover game featuring all three of them. Well, this is that game because they're all interacting with each other. They're all talking and like collaborating on the missions. They even got the female protagonist from Persona 3 Portable in the game and they feature her pretty prominently so i i did appreciate that they went that extra step there that's cool and uh it's just a shame that i think for a lot of people this will be a game that's forgotten like there's just so few people who are going to be going back to their 3ds's at this point and i know there are lots of persona fans out there after you know four and five came out i just do you see them doing a persona q collection on the switch it's going to be tough. It's really not designed for a single screen experience. It's really designed for you to have two screens. So I'm not sure how that would work. You'd, you'd kind of need to rethink how the game uses the map or like find a different way to display things on there. I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people are trying to port games from like the DS and the 3DS to the Switch and they're grappling with that right now. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. Like, uh, the World Ends With You was originally a DS game, and they brought it to Switch. I, right. I'm not sure how they handled that exactly, but that could be, in theory, a template for how to do it uh, for other people. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I would really, I really enjoyed my time. It was like, you know, an 80-hour game, but it didn't feel like that. I, I spent, you know, months chipping away at it here and there on, like, bus rides and a little bit here and there after work, and I just had so much fun with all the, you know, the standard persona stuff of leveling up your personas and fusing and all that. And the dungeon crawling was great. And the side stories and interactions between the different characters were great. I just, uh, I couldn't give enough of it. And I have hope, hoping to see more, you know, we've gotten so much already from the persona four cast and a decent amount from the persona three cast. I wonder how long they're going to keep going to that. Well, it feels like at some point, they have to kind of cut it off. Be like, "All right, we're 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 done with this. No one knows who these characters are anymore. We're gonna we're gonna move on with just like the five cast." But for the time being, it was great. Cool. Well, I guess that that leads us to our number ones, right? It does, Brandon. What was your favorite game from 2019? Um. Okay. I, I'm just gonna. I'm going out there. I'm saying it. My number one is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order for the PlayStation 4. This is uh, another uh, Respawn game here, and I think they've brought what makes their game so great over to the Star Wars universe. Um, So they pull a lot of things from 
games like Dark Souls and uh, like Sekiro and things like that um, in terms of the gameplay. And then they, they also provide uh, an engaging story um, with, uh, that's well acted and uh, takes you to a lot of different locations and uh, feels like it's really expanding upon uh, the Star Wars mythos as opposed to just kind of recycling things we already love about Star Wars. So yeah, no, I, I, I found it to be challenging. I, I'm playing it on like the hard, the Jedi Master difficulty. Um, and I felt like I was bad at the game at first, but I've really kind of settled into the groove of it and have been enjoying the story. I think I'm pretty close um, to the end, actually. I haven't fully beaten it, but I'm pretty far in the game. And I just love um, uh, the villains. I love the boss fights. Uh, I love how everything uh, can be challenging if you don't play smart, if you don't think uh, through your different encounters, then um, you can be easily kind of overwhelmed. Uh, so I like that. It, it really feels like uh, it rewards you for playing the game um, in a way that is effective and trying out different tactics and whatnot. So uh, no, I, I'm really enjoying Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. That's awesome. You know, uh, Santa Claus brought Bill a copy of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order for Christmas, so oh. I'm very much looking forward to playing that game when I get a little more free time, when I fire emblem a little more. Uh, so that, yeah, that sounds great. I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Bill, now I gotta ask, what's your number one game of 2019? My number one game of 2019 is a little bit unfair to other games that have come out. It's a little bit of a cheat because it's a remake of a game that previously came out over 20 years ago and that is resident evil 2 oh man the yeah it, it's it's really good it's really really good and i am a sucker for this formula like resident evil 4 is one of my favorite games ever and then over time with the games they drifted more and more to an actiony style with like five and six and then like the the revelations games like they incorporate like this dodge mechanic and stuff and it's like well that's not really why i'm here exactly and you know seven i think kind of got them back in the right groove i'm curious to see where they go with that because seven is essentially a reboot of the whole franchise but they've kind of gotten waylaid by how successful resident evil 2 was i think or you know, Resident Evil 3 was already probably in production at that point. But anyway, so there's 2 and 3. And these are great, great remakes of those games. Well, 2 at least. And they bring the series forward into the modern era with fantastic graphics. The game looks amazing. All the character models look really good. The environments look really good. Uh, the, the gore in the game is so gross. There's so many gross moments. <laughs> but they managed to still keep some of the arcane feeling parts of the game with like the keys and the different like you need the jack key to go through the jack door and the queen key to go through the queen door. And they did so in a way that doesn't feel completely punishing. I really appreciate when people rethink old design and are like, well, maybe we can make this a little bit easier for the player. So now, when you're looking at the map in Resident Evil 2, if you go into an area, 
it'll show you on the map like, hey, you didn't find everything there was to find here. You should go back and like look around more. And then it'll switch colors to like, I think green, where it's like, okay, you're done. You figured this area out, good job. And that's such a time saver and a frustration saver for a game where it's imperative that you take Leon and like bump him into every object and press X. Like that is very, very considerate towards the player to give that extra little concession. And Mr. X, man, that's a that's something they didn't have in the original, and that guy is a real asshole, but it's it's <laughs> fun trying to uh evade him and take him down the few times where you actually you're cornered and you have to fight him no matter what. Is it scary? They so also in the spirit of a remake they kept some scary moments from the original, but they also remixed a few. And I'm going to spoil one in particular because it was just so effective on me. Where uh, in the original game, you have to go into an interrogation room, and there is a double, uh, a sided, there's a mirrored pane of glass. So you can't see what's on the other side of the glass. So when you go in the room, a liquor bursts through the glass, and it's like so scary and heart stopping in that moment. But when you play the remake, that glass is already broken. So immediately I was like, well, okay, I guess they're just not going to do that this time. And so, you know, I go around, I do my business, I, I leave, and I'm just walking back down the hall, and bam! Mr. X punches through the wall in front of me, and oh my god, my heart leapt up <laughs> out of my chest. Oh my goodness. And like that's, I mean, that's scary, for new players and it's scary for veteran players too like they they found a way to really put the screws to you yeah that's right yeah no that's that's good i i see that's my thing with these games i'm always i want to play them but then i'm always worried they're going to be too scary for me to play effectively it gets pretty scary Uh, i don't think there are too many moments like that where it's jump scares but there are a few and uh i can understand if that's not for everyone but as for myself, like I played through as Leon, you can play through in what's called like a B-side as Claire, where like you see, so Leon and Claire are both characters in the game and they're moving through the police station where the game is set at the same time. So you can play as Leon and then you can play as Claire, who's kind of like moving in different parts of the station while Leon is on his adventure. So you can play like kind of like an alternate take on the game. So I did that, and then I went and I played through Leon again on hard mode, and then I went through and played all the DLC, which is like these special remixes and missions where you have limited ammo and all these puzzles. And yeah, it's even though it came out way back in like January, Resident Evil 2 was my favorite game for this year. It stuck with me, and I'm hoping that Resident Evil 3 can still hit me the same way when it's coming out in like April of 2020. I think it will. I think they're they're putting a lot of care and thought into these games. So I'd, I'd feel pretty uh, optimistic about that. Brandon, I think that's going to cover our favorite games from 2019. Uh, before we go, is there one game you're looking forward to in 2020? Oh, Bill, you know the game I'm going to say. Of course. Of course there is a game I'm looking forward to. It was going to come out on my birthday, and now it's not. It's coming out in May instead. I am, of course, looking forward to The Last of Us Part 2. Um, I want that game so bad. Uh, and I love 
the characters and I love the first one um, so much. I've played the first one so many times uh, that I'm I'm really ready for the, the sequel. So that and also runner up Persona 5 Royal. Um, I want that real bad. Persona 5 Royale is what they called uh, Persona 5 in France. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But um, but um, cha. What about you? Is is Resident Evil Three kind of the one you're looking forward to the most? That's up there. That whole like month long period is going to be pretty great for Bill in terms of games between that and Doom Eternal and the Turbo Graphics 16 Mini. But the one out out of all those that I'm looking forward to the most is Final Fantasy VII Episode One. Yes, I'm 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 a I'm kind of. Uh, hesitant. I hope it's good. I hope it's good. At this point, I, I can't look away. I can't ignore it. There's just... <laughs> it could be bad. It could be good. But I'm going to find out one way or another for myself. And I just hope it turns out good. That's like where I'm at with the, the game right now. I, I think I'll be getting it myself as well. I'm, I'm very curious to see uh, how it turns out. So I'm also looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, then I guess that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Brandon, if you want people to find you anywhere online, uh, where can they find you? Uh, They can find me on Twitter at B-E-E-Shock. Well, as for us, we can be found by email at somanybitspodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook where So Many Bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at So Many Bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast, from YouTube, from uh, we're streaming on Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays for Magic the Gathering Online or MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Recently, Brandon and I have been playing A Way Out together on stream. In the past, mm-hmm. we played uh, Wolfenstein, Youngblood, and some other games as well. You can also check out this podcast plus a bunch of great other nerdy podcasts at nerdalogs.com where this podcast is hosted. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. Bye.